y'all. Welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin, the show where I invite people into the Blog Cabin to chat about life. I'm Alyssa, and I'm your host. Today, we're chatting with author Lucas Kitchen. Now, I will say that if you are not a Christian, this may be an episode that you just want to bear with me and listen to because it not only is... It tells about his journey to seminary and going through seminary school, but it also tells about his journey of how he quit something only to go back to it later. So there's redeeming qualities in both. There's some great philosophical um, questions that he asks about if this is the right thing for me and perseverance through quitting. Um, But also there's a great conversation about the book of Leviticus and and some of the things that he was learning in um, divinity school that just wasn't making sense to him. And it kind of basically comes down to this. Faith is different things to different people. And I really think this is a great episode if you want to listen to some somebody that's a funny person because he's super hilarious. And I really think it, no matter what you believe that you're really going to enjoy this episode. And I hope you enjoy it. So you know what I need you to do right now? That's right. Start listening. Welcome back to another edition of Chats from the Blog Cabin. Today, I'm joined by author Lucas Kitchen. Um, he has the uh, book Naked Grace, among other books, and here is a copy of his book right now. Um, Lucas, before we get into chatting about your book and about your life, let's tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I live in East Texas, grew up in a small town called Kilgore, Um my, I, I grew up as the son of a painter. My dad was an artist. He taught art and he painted huge murals, you know, when we were kids. And so we kind of lived in this, um, this kind of mysterious artistic world, you know, of, uh, of, uh, of pretty exciting proportions. And so grew up doing all kinds of uh, different sorts of uh, media in different formats. We played music. We, we were, you know, did storytelling of various kinds. And, um, and so when I got into my high school years, I got interested in, in ministry. And so um, kind of pursued that for a lot of years. And, and the, the nature of the book that we're you know, discussing today uh, covers a lot of the stories in those years for me, because it was, it's, a, it's a memoir, for, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, and it talks about um, a lot of kind of where I came from, um, you know, with, with these ideas of trying to find answers to like the most basic questions, you know. So, um, and so for me, a lot of the, the pursuit was kind of centered around the different types of, uh, 
really the art that we made that I, I was in a band and we traveled and, you know, I, I got a chance to talk to a lot of different event speakers where they would, they would teach, you know, and I'd have questions. And, um, so lots of stories in the book about that, uh, you know, that time in my life where I was really searching and trying to find those sorts of answers. Yeah. A lot of the stories in the book talks about how gullible you were. So let's talk <laughs> yeah. about how gullible you are. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah that's that's some of the things that, so let's talk about that. Let's talk yeah. about basically you, they tell you anything and you believe it basically, right? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. If, I, I don't, I don't know how unique I was in this, but I, I, I know, I remember a few instances where my brother seemed to be the one perpetrating a lot of gullibilities on me. Like for instance, one time he told me that in other countries in East Asia, they throw the baseball like this, you know, they don't, they don't swing back, I guess for your podcast listeners, they don't swing back behind their head. Like we do, they throw with a stiff arm, you know? And I thought, how in the world could that work? But I just believed him. I was like, well, you know, he's my older brother. Of course he, he, he must know the truth, you know? And so I eventually I saw the, the um, uh, little league world series and those kids from all over the world were rocketing the baseball, just like we were. And I thought, Oh, he was totally wrong, you know? And so there's like a series of those kinds of gullibilities. Another one that is kind of, kind of silly was uh, my brother told me that the piano player at our church had this disease where she couldn't laugh. She just, she was unable to laugh, you know, <laughs> I thought that was a thing, you know, and I, I thought, well, he knows, you know? And then when I one day saw her actually laugh, I was like, she's healed, you know, it's, it's a miracle, <laughs> you know, but, but really what it was, was, he just—he was just making stuff up. I don't know if he believed those things. I think he was sincere. He may have really thought those types of things, but um, I just—I just sort of accepted uh, the things that I was told by people that sounded like they knew what they were talking about. Like if you spoke to me with some confidence, I was like, "Oh, yeah, you—you you must know." But as you can imagine, like growing up, just kind of working under the assumption that everybody's telling the truth and everybody knows what they're talking about, I began to hear like especially in the church, like contradictory teachings and sayings and things that, that, you know, one teacher would say one week and somebody else would say something else and be like, wait a minute, that didn't line up with what, you know, that, that guy said or whatever. My phone is, my watch is going off there. And so I, I just began to think maybe, maybe there's something amiss here. Maybe, maybe I've been a little gullible and haven't really been approaching you know, my, my faith in a way where I'm actually trying to discern what, what is true, what, you know, what really makes sense. Am I just trusting everything everybody says, or should I kind of weigh it with a, with a grain of salt? So, um, yeah. So gullible is the right word. You picked that out pretty well. <laughs> well, I think you actually used that word. In I the think book. I did. Yeah. I think I yeah. did. Talk, uh, yeah. Early on, I was pretty gullible. So I was yeah. like, oh man, I'm like, but you said you had an older brother. So how many siblings did you have? I was in the middle of three. So two brothers, um, one younger and one older. My, my younger brother is a fantastic musician, professional, you know, musician, plays uh, all the time. And my older brother is a, an art director at an advertising agency. So, um, so we're kind of surrounded with, um, you know, the, the arts of various kinds. And so uh, it's pretty exciting to get together with the family and just kind of talk shop about what what each, uh, what kind of projects we're all working on and, you know, things like that. But when my brother does speak to me, I'm, I'm much more, uh, I'm, I'm much more <laughs> cautious now. Cause I don't know, is that true? Are you really telling me the truth there? 
Well, so. the only reason I was asking was because I'm the youngest of four, and I oh, think I was right? pretty vulnerable as well. Four girls, so basically, yeah. thing you know, your older siblings tell you is gospel, pretty much. Absolutely, you don't think they can do any wrong. So I totally get that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'll tell you one more if you want to hear it. The, the and if you looked in the book, you would have seen this one. But uh, the other one that comes to mind is the time my older brother told me I was leaning against a. Uh, a screen door, the back door of our house. And in Texas, we have, you know, screen doors because it's, it's hot and whatever. So I was leaning against that and had my face against it for whatever reason. And my brother just passed by and said, that'll eat your face off. And I thought, <laughs> I thought there was like some acidic nature inherent in the, the grid of the screen, you know, and I thought that for years, kind of like in the back of my subconscious, I was real careful about touching windows for a lot of years <laughs> until I realized what in the world is wrong with me? Oh, it's my brother. He told me that thing a long time ago. It's kind of bouncing around in the back of my head. And so, uh, so yeah, it was, uh, some weird gullibilities. And you can, you can see how that kind of created some, some tension in my life as I began to kind of become an adult and try to figure out what is, what is true. You know, what, how, how, do we, how do we determine who we trust and, you know, who's telling the truth and who knows what they're talking about, you know? So. Well, I love how you use the gullibilities, like you said, to kind of, question, you know, what is true in your faith and what's not true, you know, yeah. who do you listen to, what don't you listen to? So give us some instances of where your faith has come into play. Yeah. So, so for me, for whatever reason, I just was really drawn to, to ministry and to, to church. And I think it probably was because I got a lot of feedback in that area. I mean, by the time I was 16, I found myself like standing in front of groups and doing like Bible studies and stuff like that. And I had no business doing that. I didn't know what I was talking about, but what I, what I kind of realized is you can squeak by, you know, you can, you could squeak by and not really know much and make it sound like, you know, if you got some clever statements and some rhyming phrases and a funny story, then people will accept it as like biblical truth, you know? And so I don't know what I was talking about in those years, but I'm pretty sure it was some zany, weird stuff, you know, and, um, and I was just a young guy who really loved, I love to teach and I love to share the, you know, my faith, but I really was not ready to articulate my faith. I mean, because I, I still had lots of those really fundamental questions. And one of those driving questions was what exactly is it that we have to do to be saved? You know, I mean, like the basic, the basic building block of the faith, you know, what do we have to do to, to be saved? And, and so I got into a situation where I was, I was actually a youth minister at the time. I mean, I was being paid to be like a professional minister. And I, I was questioning that kind of stuff, you know, as a minister, I mean, I'm in my office on a Monday morning, like how exactly does salvation work? And, you know, I don't know if your listeners are church going folks, but that's not what you want your minister to be saying to yourself on a Monday, you know? So, uh, so it just, it was just a time of, of kind of quiet confusion though. Cause I, you know, in that position, you don't want to let on that you, you're a little bit clueless, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, and, and my, my, um, my perception now is that there's lots and lots of folks in church work that are kind of in that situation that it's a little scary to let on that, Hey, I'm, I'm a little unclear on some of these basic tenets of the faith. Um, you don't want to tell people that, you know? And so, and if, if the leadership is afraid to, to talk about that, you can imagine how a congregation, somebody sitting in a pew or in a, you know, a church um, environment would, would also be pretty afraid to, to bring that up. And so, um, 
so that's that's a lot about what our uh, my writing is about is to is to try to encourage people to to seek out those answers and really really start asking the questions that will kind of begin to move them in the, in the right direction. So when did you decide? Okay, it's okay for me to start questioning, and it's okay for me to openly question that. Yeah, that's a good. Like said you were a youth minister, so you were like quietly doing it. But when did you yeah. openly start doing that? Well, you know, I, I really was kind of driving towards answers for a lot of years, and I thought that I would find them in, in seminary, you know. So I worked as a youth minister for a while, and then um, the church I was at was a, a pretty big church at the time, and so they offered to pay for seminary. And I was thinking, well, that's great, and, I, and that works too because I'm, I'm really wanting to find these answers. So I thought, I'll go to seminary, and I'll finally get clear. And so I got into an evangelism class. And, uh, and I thought, okay, day one, they're going to explain what the basics are because it's not like I hadn't heard a gospel presentation. It was that I'd heard multiple different ones that contradicted, you know? Um, and, and I found myself repeating those things and thinking what, which part of this even makes sense? You know, lots of stuff that just didn't make sense, but I found even myself saying it cause I didn't know what else to say. So Headed off to seminary and uh, did that for a short time. I was in this evangelism class and we got to like week two or three and I realized, hey, we hadn't really answered this question yet. I thought that was going to be what this class is about. So I kind of raised my hand. was like, hey, uh, we're talking about how to do like a tent revival or something like that. But I just want to know, what are we supposed to say? Like, what's the what, what is it that we tell people that they have to do in order to be saved? And the professor, who was a brilliant guy, no doubt, he gave he he started listing off these things and they were contradictory. I mean, just even in, in that, I thought, well, the number five, that doesn't fit with number one that you said. And so so at that point, I I called it quits on seminary. I, I just I backed out and, and full disclosure, I've returned to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, where I, I kind of where I began. But at this point in my in that point, in my story. I just backed out. I got out of seminary, got out of ministry and got bitter and, you know, just kind of got frustrated. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of a I was kind of an irritating person at the time. I think maybe I'm not as much anymore, but I'm not sure about that. But (laughs) um, but anyway, it was just it was just kind of a frustrating time in my life. But that distance actually was good for me because I needed to kind of take the pressure off and be able Mm -hmm. to say, let's let's rethink this thing. You know, and so I was living as a, as a single guy um, and was not was nominal at best in church. I would go every once in a while, but really was distant from from all of it. But I met this amazing young lady who um, really, you know, for all practical purposes, brought me to rethink about all of this stuff. And so I, I remember this this one night in our our relationship, we were, we were talking on the phone. We were dating at the time. We were talking on the phone and she came from a very, um, you know, faith focused family. Ooh, that was a, that was a nice alliteration, a very faith focused family. And so, um, and so she knew at some point she had to ask me like, how do you define the gospel? You know, like, how do you, how do you explain this whole, this whole Jesus thing, you know? And so, I knew I was a little unclear on it, but I was trying to hide from her that I was a little unclear on it. So I just, I just started talking and probably talked like 10 minutes. I mean, it was like from 
the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, everything in between. I just threw, threw it all in, hoping she kind of like, oh, wow, he seems to know the Bible. I mean, I basically was just giving like the synopsis of the Bible, mm -hmm. but that's not what she had asked. What she had asked is, what, what is it that somebody has to do to be saved? You know, and so, <laughs> and so at the end of this long, this long speech that I gave, which was probably confusing and who knows what, she said, oh, I, I think it's just way more simple than that. You know, and so that moment, she, she gave me like maybe another sentence or two, but that moment was like a, a real turning point because I realized this, she was a few years younger than me, this, this young lady who has not been to seminary, but has, has spent her life at this church that really majors on being clear about these things. She can easily articulate it. And I thought, oh man, I want, I want to know more about that. I want to, I want to be, you know, more kind of involved in that sort of thing. And so that drew me in to this this new kind of uh, phase in my life where these things began to, to start making sense. And um, and so anyway, I'm probably I'm probably yakking too too much, but that's kind of the yeah. that's kind of the what was behind the the genesis of me beginning to rethink it uh, because it was it was very frustrating in those years leading up to that. But but that frustration helped me to see how valuable and how amazing it is to finally kind of rest in, in thinking, okay, I, I think I've figured out this piece of it. Now there's other mysteries we still go and we, we work on, but yeah. this basic piece I feel like is, has finally made sense. And it was, it was just a load off. It was an amazing burden just to be lifted, you know, off my shoulders. And that led you back into going back to seminary as well. Cause you it, have, uh, yeah. College. <clears throat> yeah, it did. So I didn't, I didn't finish seminary that first go around. In fact, I don't think I even finished that first class I was in, but I, I decided to go back to seminary later. And, um, and by this time I already had kids, um, at least one, one kid, I have two and about to have our third soon. And so, uh, mm -hmm. so it was a different phase of life. I, I approached it really differently. I approached it like actually wanting to get a sense of, you know, what are other people teaching? And, um, and so it was, it was a good time in my life to get to that you know, to get to that point. And, and by that point, I wasn't approaching seminary to get the answers. I was, I was more approaching seminary to, to get sharper at how to research and get sharper at how to write and get sharper at, um, the things that you can learn in seminary, but you, but because professors at seminary come from so many bit, different backgrounds, mm -hmm. um, you don't necessarily go to seminary to get the right answer. You go to seminary, in my opinion, to learn how to, how to do the research and how to, how to think through the biblical issue, depending on the seminary, I guess. Uh, probably every seminary is different, but that yeah. was my experience anyway. So. so what did that teach you from dropping out to going back? What did that teach you? Because obviously there were, how many years was between the time? That oh you yeah, that's a good question. I, I would, there may have been eight years or 10 years between that. I, I'm not sure. Something like that though. Um, and so I guess the thing that was interesting about it and the thing I kind of learned was um, this, this, what seemed like kind of a new revelation really wasn't a new revelation. It was the same thing I heard when I was six years old from my dad who opened up his big, one of those big family Bibles, like as big as your head, you know, and he opened it up and he went through John three sixteen, beautifully simple because I was a kid, you know, it needed to be simple, beautifully simple. It's about, it's about belief. It's about faith in Jesus, you know, and he, he gave this really simple six-year-old, um, you know, friendly presentation. And really what I realized 
is in those years um, of getting confused and then kind of, you know, untying the knots was it basically is returning back to that simplicity. It, it's basically returning back mm -hmm. to what I already knew when I was six years old. The problem was not that I didn't ever hear the gospel. It's that I heard so many other things kind of layered on top of it, you know. And so I think that's really was the lesson for me is I thought by adding more and more learning, I would get more and more clear. Um, but what I had to do, and I think the lesson was for me, I had to figure out how to discern who not to listen to or who to, who to maybe listen yep. to, but realize to not, you know, not incorporate that into my, you know, personal theology or whatever. And so, so that was a, that was a challenging thing. And I kind of think, you know, I needed those experiences to finally come to that point where I could do that. Uh, but it was, but really it was a return to simplicity. It was a return to, to faith alone, you know, and, um, and that was the surprise. It wasn't, I was always looking for more complexity. I always thought, well, we just don't, we don't quite get it. There's something more complex to it. And no, that actually wasn't the problem. That was, that was confusing the, the situation. So. So um, I have, how did you learn from discerning? Because a lot of times people are like, Oh, the church says this, you know, and a lot of time yeah. it's the organized religion that says it, it's not what the Bible says, but how did you go about yeah. discerning it? Well, it's, it's hard. I'm going to say that. I mean, it feels to me like, so, so I don't, again, I, I want to respect your, your listeners and your viewers, but I'm coming from a pretty spiritual background. So that's, mm -hmm. that's going to be how I, I present this. But um, my, my perspective is there is so much confusion. I mean, there, there's so much confusion. I think that's the first thing to understand. Um, <clears throat> I also think that studying the Bible is something that can be dangerous. If we, if we listen to people that lead us down, you know, paths that, that aren't right. And so I'm being a little hazy here, but, mm -hmm. but my perspective is basically the more we can focus on the actual words that are written down in the Bible, the better. I mean, that's if, if there's a formula, that's probably going to be it. And then secondly, understanding the purpose for what each of the books in the Bible are written for. So, for instance, Leviticus is written for a very specific purpose. And it parts of it obviously can apply to what we're dealing with today, but it's not the place I'm going to open up and immediately read if I'm trying to figure out how to have assurance of my salvation or something like that. Mm -hmm. There's a different there's a different book in the Bible written for that. And so so to me, that's one of the big questions is like what if I'm reading a certain book of the Bible, I want to know why did the author mm -hmm. you know what was his purpose? And so like the Gospel of John is a great example. Gospel of John, the 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 author who is the uh, apostle of John, he actually tells us why he wrote the book. He wrote the book he says it in John 20, 30, and 31. He wrote the book so that people could, and this is the word he uses all throughout, so they could believe in Jesus as the Christ, and by believing, they have life in his name, and that means eternal life. And so he tells us what the purpose is. And so to me, what that means is if I'm looking for the salvation message, I should go to the book that says it's for that purpose yeah. rather than going to a book that's not necessarily for that purpose. And so what I realized after kind of like retro analyzing the years of confusion many, many times, what I, what I rec recognized later was that teachers were grabbing verses and using them for whatever purpose. And they, th those verses weren't intended for that. 
they were intended for something else. And they kind of could fit and they kind of could be squished down into this other purpose. But but it creates problems when we do that. And so so that was a bit that was really central to kind of regaining this clarity and and moving in a, in a fresh and new direction that gave me mental peace. And I'm saying mental peace as in I was like a mental storm for years. I was just like asking these questions and going over what I had heard and what I what I knew. And I just couldn't find peace. And to me, that's what what helped me out in finding that peace was this approach that I'm talking about is mm -hmm. understanding the purpose and 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 leaning on that and being like, yeah. well, you know, if he says this is where the, the saving message is, that's where I'm going to look for the saving message. So um so anyway, does that make sense? Is that is that kind of answer the what you were asking? That totally makes sense. And actually, it's so funny that you Leviticus is I just got through reading Leviticus. Um, I'm doing a Bible reading the Bible through the year. Oh, that's great. Yeah. The Bible podcast or Bible Hub. Oh, podcast. yeah. 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 And um, we just got through Leviticus. I'm like, wow, there's a lot of laws yeah. in here, but yeah, you sacrificing yeah. and everything. That's something that you don't see now. So that you're right. Absolutely. You have to, yeah. You have to apply what's a modern day and not back in the old Testament. Cause nobody would, yeah. everybody thinking now sacrificing an animal would have been uh satanic almost now. So yeah. yeah. Well, no, that's a great example. So it's, I, it's funny you say that because I, when I take my kids to school on my return home, I listen to the Bible on an audiobook and I'm in Leviticus right now. So we're like on the same wavelength. I mean, there are things in, and I've, I've, I've read it before, but there's things in Leviticus that I kind of like paused and was like, Whoa, did I just hear that? Is that what I thought I heard? You know, this, mm -hmm. that lots of interesting little, little tidbits about how yep. their, their society worked. But when you look at those books and this illustrates a point we're talking about, the the agreement between God, who is that agreement between? It's between God and the people of Israel. And so mm -hmm. can we learn something from Leviticus? Absolutely. But who was the covenant with? I mean, I think that really helps understanding that this arrangement that God had, there's certain like universal rules that he gave to all mankind, but there were also like ceremonial rules that were between him and the people of Israel. And so it's really easy to take those out of context if we're if we're not careful. Um so anyway, yeah, beautiful. Uh, it's interesting. I love going through the Old Testament because it's so unique and there's pieces that are so foreign to us. And I'm like, wow, that is like, that's reminding me that this was written to a very different situation in a different world. Uh, but I just, I, I get kind of giddy when I come across those little pieces. So Me too. this is the first time that I've actually attempted the Bible throughout the year. Really? I've never read the whole Bible front <clears throat> to cover. So I'm like, yeah. I'm going to do that. That's my commitment. I actually bought a Bible just to yeah. <laughs> take notes in, just to show I've done this. You, you know, did it. Yeah, that's accomplishment great. at the end of the year. Yeah. And so for, yeah, Leviticus, some of it, it was like, oh my gosh, because yeah. it, it keeps reiterating over and over and over again, some of the same laws. Yeah, it does. Yeah. When you can imagine, let's say that, that somebody who knows nothing about the Bible picks up the Bible for the first time and they think, oh, well, I'll just read it like any book. They read through Genesis. It's like, ah, interesting stories. You get to Deuteronomy. Well, you get to Exodus, which is kind of story, but then starts to have these laws like, well, okay, I did that. Okay. But then you get to Deuteronomy and Leviticus. You're like, I can't continue. This is, I'm so confused. I don't know what's going on, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and so it could be, it could be difficult to get through those first books, but um, anyway, it's, I'm, I'm excited that you're doing that. That's really cool. Okay. So let's take, take a brittle um, 
pause for our sponsor and then we'll get right back to chatting. Sound Perfect. good? Yeah, thanks. Schools closing their doors again this year due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Oh, are we, are we back? Schools closing their doors again this year due to the COVID-19 pandemic is devastating for students, parents, and educators. Beyond that, it has disproportionately challenged low-resource school systems, further revealing educational and health inequities among communities. Teachers and parents are searching for tools that will enable schools to reopen, but many of these solutions are expensive and time-consuming. To ease the magnitude of challenges faced by high-need school districts, we can provide a simple solution that has a deep impact. I'm Della, the founder of Nestle Space. Nestle provides easy, beautiful, health-centered design that adapts to any environment. We design products that are attentive to bodily experience, emotional health, and ergonomics, including our portable, touchless handwashing station. Our handwashing stations bring running water anywhere with an outlet, accompanied by ergonomic design. Because no plumbing is required, our portable stations can be placed in classrooms, gymnasiums, lobbies, libraries, and beyond. The CDC has identified handwashing as a critical mitigation measure for schools during the pandemic. However, as evidenced by the high number of schools that have reached out to us over the last six months, many schools do not have prolific access to running water in classrooms and in other areas which they need to repurpose as classrooms in order to increase social distancing during the pandemic. We know schools are short on resources, dollars, space, and time. We can help, but we need your help to do so. We'd like to supply our Nestle Kids handwashing stations at no cost to selected public schools in need. Our first goal is to distribute these to 10 school districts. We are asking for your help to simply cover our production and shipping costs. Together, we believe we can help students more safely return to where they thrive most, at school. In these crazy times, we thank you for considering this and for your generosity. We believe that by helping support each other, we can make a positive impact in a very hard time. Again, thank you for your support. We hope you and yours stay well. And we're back. Sorry. It just seems like there's uh, a yeah. lag. <laughs> yeah. I thought that's a very short commercial. And then, yeah. There, there. <laughs> so we were just talking about the books from the Bible. Um, I would say hang in there because Esther, I'm actually with a group of women right now. Esther yeah. is got everything you could possibly think of in that book. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, another one that's right around there. I, when I was in seminary, I did a, a commentary on Ruth and you don't normally think about reading a commentary on Ruth. And so I never published it, but it was a really exciting because it's just such a pure story. You know, I think Esther's kind of that way too. Just, they're just, uh, you know, they lend themselves to movies really well. And they've made some, have you, have you seen any of the Esther movies that they've made? No, over the years? I, I need to, I need to watch it. Yeah. I've, I've, I've heard good things. I don't know that I have either. So I don't know why I brought it up. I apologize. <laughs> So let's get to talking about your back talking about your book, Naked Grace. Why did you decide to write it? Why did you decide to write period? Like you said? Yeah. Well, so <clears throat> I, I resisted writing for a long time, not because I didn't like it. I wrote in journals and I filled up pages and pages of handwritten stuff and I would write down ideas, but I was a terrible English student 
all through school. I, my, my grammar was terrible. I, my spelling was awful. I couldn't figure out where you put commas. It just was a very confusing thing to me. So I never once had an English teacher tell me, you're a good writer. And so I thought I couldn't do it. I thought it was just outside of my, my wheelhouse. In fact, when I was in college, my undergraduate, my senior year, I had to take a, um, a remedial English class. And I remember the teacher standing over me and saying, Lucas, by the time we graduate students, we like them to write in paragraphs you know so it's just like those basic those basic things and so i i really kind of struggled with that thinking there's no way i could do this but what i realized over a number of years i in those years between where i was doing ministry i had a, a video business and i was writing scripts for videos all the time and that's part of what i was being hired to do and i realized at some point hey i'm writing i'm just i'm mm -hmm. just doing a different format you know i'm it's it's audio or it's a voiceover or whatever and then my wife encouraged me. I really, I had these, these story ideas. I thought I'd make a mo movies and I, that the budget was just never there. And so I began to think, you know, maybe what I'll do is I'll, I'll just write these, these stories that I have in my mind. And so I started in kind of the science fiction realm. You know, my wife encouraged me and I wrote this first book and I thought, I don't even know, did I even put any punctuation? And I don't even know what I'm doing, you know but she read it. She said, it's good. I'd like to read another. And so that really encouraged me that, Hey, maybe I've got a skill in this, but I just need to, I need to work on the, the obvious problems, you know? And so over the next number of years, I began to really work on it, but also I, I discovered what we call editors. There's, there's editors out there that can help you clean it up, you know? So I'm, I still, you know, my first drafts are still really, really messy, but I realized that that's not why people are reading books. People, people want to connect with a story. They want to connect with something meaningful, you know? And mm -hmm. so that's why I write because I feel like my, and, and that's why I wrote this book, especially because mm -hmm. I feel like I have experiences that other people are going through quietly and probably painfully um, that it always helps when I hear somebody else share a story that I can identify with, you know? Mm -hmm. And so not all of my books are about me, thank goodness, but this one is my own, my own story. And so I, I think it, it's helped a number of people. We've gotten good feedback that it's helped a lot of people to really start thinking through these kind of these big questions, you know? I think a lot of it too, is when somebody like I'm a blogger too, so I yeah. write a lot too. So I think a lot of it is when people say, you know what, you're writing how I feel. I'm glad mm, yeah. people put how yeah. I feel down in words. So they feel like they're not alone. So how many times have you gotten that? Yeah, we get, we get stuff like that. I, I think for me, so, so I've, I've kind of had different phases of what I've written. The first number of books was fiction. And then I got into writing theology books kind of after a lot of this happened where I began to feel like, Hey, I have a sense of, of how to help people get clarity on some of these subjects. So I wrote a number of theology books and then I've kind of returned now to mixing those writing. I, I recently wrote a fiction book that's set within a kind of a theological framework. That's a book for another time, but, but in each of those kind of arenas, we get a different group of, of people, you know, like there was like sci-fi fans that we had who, who were a very different kind of person than our theology readers. And, um, I'm saying art cause it's a team effort when we're creating yeah. books and stuff. But, um, and so it's uh, very different and I've lost track of what your question was. I'm sure it was a great one, but I've lost track of what you asked me. I just started rambling. Uh, oh, oh, the feedback. So, um, so yeah. 
I think what we've noticed is when we share stories, that's when it really connects with people. Like, like we have sometimes we'll, we'll just, we'll share like a theological idea and it needs some kind of, like, I kind of think of the story as the vehicle that can drive it into someone's living room in a sense. Well, you don't want some, a vehicle in your living room, but it's a terrible metaphor. But you get yeah. the idea that we need a vehicle to move those concepts because nobody, nobody wants to think about the cold philosophical concepts. They want to hear a story and then you can kind of work your philosophy or theology into mm -hmm. that story. And, and in fact, that's exactly what Jesus did in most of his his public teaching times. He was telling stories. And so um, so what we notice is when we tell stories, we get we get better feedback than when we just share ideas that are kind of divorced of the story. And so, yeah, for, you know, writers out there, I think that's the that's the gold mine is what what experiences do you have that others can can identify with and connect with? So you talked about writing and you wrote sci-fi, you've written urban fantasy, a memoir, biography, children's literature, Christian theology, and more, it says on your bio. But what was your very first book? My first book was a book called um, World Builder. And it, so I don't, so you, you're a writer, so you, you get this. I, I had like this, this kind of mental image of this guy now, I'm not suggesting people go read this book. It ain't great, you know, but this is how it started. So I had this mental image of this guy in like 1800s get up, like he dressed in 1800s get up, studying an ant pile. And then as I sort of zoomed out the mental image, I realized, you know, it's sort of like, oh, I, I thought it'd be interesting if in the background there's a modern city. And so that was kind of the mental image that began this whole, and it's sort of a process of like, yeah, but but why? Why is he in a modern city? Oh, yeah, maybe he's like a being from another, you know. And so it was sort of a, a sci-fi fantasy thing. And what a lot of readers, uh, what some readers picked up on, but a lot of readers actually didn't, was this character was, he was sort of presented as kind of like this alien-ish character. But really, in my mind, what he was, was part of uh, this you know, what we would call like the, uh, the mythos of, of angelic beings or something like that, you know, but I never said that, never used that word in there, but that was kind of a fun, that's always kind of a fun thing to me to, to, to put something in there where the reader will kind of, they'll be excited that they, they figured me out, you know, that like, <laughs> Oh, I know what you're, I know what you're doing there. And that's exciting me because like a lot of times in a book, if, if they just do it right on the nose and, and tell you exactly what it is in like a opening 20 minute exposition, I'm always like, Oh, come on, let, let me discover some stuff. And so um, I'm sure there's little things in my books that a lot of people have never figured out. And it's just like, nobody ever will. And I probably forgot why I wrote them. And so, <laughs> um, but yeah, that was the first book. And that one was, that was an interesting project because um, I had about half of the book planned out and I never thought I would get that far. So I got to that chapter to the end of where I got, you know, had it planned out. I was like, Oh man, what do I do now? And then it became really exciting because it was like, I was off the reservation. I was just like, well, what happens next? You know? And it, it felt so free, so freeing because before that I had shot documentaries and done videos. And if you shoot a documentary, you got to go to a place you got to, or if you're doing a, you know, a short film, you got to build a set or you got to get in a studio or something. And it was amazing. It was like, I can build, I can build a set piece with one sentence and it's free, you know? And so it was just, I was hooked immediately. Um, and so I did that for a number of years in those years where I wasn't in ministry. Um, and that, but that really kind of prepared me for 
getting back to where we started to write about about faith and write about the gospel and write about these these other things that really I feel like are actually much more in, important and and trying to use those same skills of crafting a decent story and making something interesting has I think really helped in the other kind of theater because if I say I write theology books people are like Bleh. but I hope that's not what they pick up when they actually read one of our books and I don't think it is where we kind of do it different than a lot of the kind of more academic leaning uh, materials so this is the second or third time in the interview you say we you keep saying team. I do that a lot yeah so tell us about your team yeah so originally when I started writing it was me on the back swing in the backyard as it's grown so we have a ministry called free grace international and so um the ministry was not created because i write but as a writer i joined the ministry to to write and to do other you know other media and stuff like that so our team is um some family members my wife my father-in-law my sister-in-law uh, uh, some friends that have kind of joined the team now not kind of but have joined the team now and so we produce, we produce a number of things usually. Like when we create a book, Naked Grace is a little different than the process for some of our other books. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times when we create a book that's maybe kind of like a Bible study type book, we'll do video series and we'll do Bible studies and we'll do you know, various other materials that it really takes a team to create. And so the writing in a sense is just kind of the beginning or, or maybe the middle, it's probably usually more like the middle. Um, and it's just sort of a piece in this larger puzzle that we're kind of putting together. And so, um, so the team varies because when I'm working on a book, it's a different proofreading team. There's volunteer proofreaders we have. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and then when we go to, to actually publish, it's, it's a different group. And so it's kind of like there's overlapping, you know, overlapping teams. And so, and right now I'm sitting in a studio that we use for, um, for creating those video series I'm talking about, but we also do like a kids show. Uh, we do kids curriculum for, uh, for churches and things like that. So we, we kind of have a lot of various things that are going on where books are part of it, you know? And so mm -hmm. it keeps it exciting and interesting. You know, we, we're never bored. We always have like, we'll sit around and say, Hey, what, what's the next thing we could do? It'd be fun to make something new now. And so it's a, uh, it's, it's a good life. It's a, it's a really exciting, um, exciting kind of, teamwork thing that we do. So you never know what you're going to work on from one day to the next, or do you kind of have a planning meeting where you schedule things out? Well, we're trying to get better at that. I, I don't know if you gather, but I'm a little bit of an impulsive uh, mm -hmm. wanderer. I mean, I just sort of like, if something's shiny over there, I'm like, hey, I'd like to go look at that and see if we can make a story out of it, you know, whatever. And so that kind of thing is going on with me, but, but the rest of the team is really pretty good at planning and kind of figuring out how to how how we can work together and so we've we're getting better at planning out um like this morning we've, we've been talking about planning out kind of our next our next book and that's sort of new for me because i've been sort of like this independent operator in the past and so i'm learning a lot about how do we how do we work together because it is I, I recognize it's always better when you work with it's not better when you work with just anybody, but when you work with a team that you love and a, mm -hmm. a group that is, is talented, like I love to be surrounded by people that are more talented than me. And, and we each have our own, our own thing. And so when we've got that kind of thing going on, it really, it really makes the whole project better. And the end reader 
appreciates it, even though they don't know why. It's just mm -hmm. it's just a better it's a better project, at, you know, at the end. And so uh, and so we're really blessed to to have some really creative and really passionate people um, embedded in the family. I mean, most of you know a lot of us are family members. Or um, my my buddy Matthew, who's actually in the studio right now. Um, we were in a band together, and so we're you know mm. sort of like old band brothers, and we've <laughs> we've been sharing office space for years, and now he's part of the part of the group, part of the ministry. So, um, so we, we're just having a blast with what we get to do. It, a lot of days we wake up and like, is this really my job? This is so amazing that we get to do this kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, so it's it's fun. So, how many round a rounded number? How many people do you would you say was on your team? Oh, it's not, it's not huge. Um, so five, six, so I guess five kind of on the main, in the group, but then we have a board where I believe we have four on our, our, our board. Um, but then for like proofreaders, we'll pull in maybe another three to five people for that. And sometimes those change. It's not always the same because those are volunteers. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, then when we're shooting a show, like when we're shooting our kids show, we'll have, we'll have volunteers come in and be in the show. Uh, it's a puppet show for the kids show is a puppet show. And so, so we'll bring people in sometimes, sometimes it's just, it's just us. So pretty small group. I mean, it's not a, it's not a huge organization, but uh, kind of just a, a small group of people that are, are pretty like-minded and creative. And, um, and so I am not afraid to call in favors from other family members, you know, that are, not kind of in the, the inner, inner circle. Cause like I said, my, my dad is an artist and so we'll call on him sometimes. My mom is a good proofreader. We'll call on her. So we expand the team as needed whenever, you know, whenever, um, whenever uh, projects come up that need a kind of a larger group. But, um, but, and it's, it's really different for me because like being a, a writer, you really want alone time, you know, you want to get alone in the closet and just, you know, bang out a, a story and so um so it's it's sometimes a challenge for me but it's it's been really good so wow and i love the fact that it's all family oriented too yeah kind of spend these time together now i do have a question to ask you you said you were based in texas have you been affected at all with any of the power shutdowns or anything like that that's going on in Texas? Yeah, so we're in Longview, Texas, and Longview got out of it really well. Um, so we have towns around us that, uh, you know, some folks lost power and lost, um, I don't know that anybody lost natural gas around us. There's a lot of natural gas heated houses, but um, but what seems to have happened the most is water has been an issue around us. And so the town where I grew up, my parents still live there. Their water pressure dropped down to zero and then has kind of slowly mm -hmm. come back. But they're on a they're on a boil water notice for a week or something like that because they had so many water mains break um, that, you know, they they don't know what kind of contamination got into the water system. So there's a lot of that going around. But us where we are in Longview, Texas, man, it, it we just dodged it. I don't know why, but um, it. it I mean, we had we had a pile of snow, mm -hmm. which was fun. But um, as far as any of the trouble, we were really nervous. But it just it just kind of passed us over. So uh, so things went okay. But I know there's a lot that that it hit really hard, and um, and I think there's a lot there's still kind of sorting out how to move forward. You know, yeah. so so yeah. And it, remind me, I should know, but remind me where are you located? I'm actually know. in North Carolina. So. North Carolina. Okay. So We're you guys get snow fairly regularly, am I right? Or is um, I'm closer to the coast of North Carolina, okay. 
So, so like if it's a snow day here, it's like maybe an inch. That's it. Okay. But yeah. we get more the hurricanes coming through. Oh yeah. Okay. The hurricanes That's... and the severe weather, like, like this past week, it was like 40 degrees. Yesterday it was okay. torrential rain. Today it's almost oh. 70 degrees. I mean, I have wow. the, the fan on here in my office because yeah. it's so hot. Whereas yeah. last week I had the heater on because it was so cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was thinking that today as I as I hit the thermostat before we turned the air conditioner off before we you know before we do anything in the studio and so I was thinking man I'm turning the air conditioner on or I had the air conditioner on today and it was negative five degrees just a couple of days ago so I mean the weather is just absolutely bipolar uh, lately so mm -hmm. I don't know what to think of it but you know, we're making it so far. So that is typical North Carolina weather. Is it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. One week. I mean, one week it's snowing. One week it's not one week. Yeah. It's 80 degrees outside in the, in the winter time, you can wear shorts next week. It's freezing your rear end off. So mm, man. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So what is up next for you? Well, uh, yeah, that's a great question. So I am working on a few stories. Um, now I, I don't always, I don't always talk about uh, unfinished stories, but I can tell you what we've published lately. Um, and I have a, a whole theory on why why not to talk about stories. It's not because I don't want people to know, but it's because I found that if I talk about a story that's unfinished, I get some of that catharsis from sharing a story and I'm less likely to finish it. Sure. So the things that we've, we've published lately that one I'm really excited about is called For the Sake of the King. And it's written kind of in the style of a, like a traditional fantasy story, but it's set in in the future, but set in the future millennial kingdom of heaven. And so that probably makes people like, I don't even know what to think of that. But what we tried to do with it is uh, it's set in what we, we believe might be a possible future for, you know, once Jesus returns to the earth and all that. Uh, but it's a just, it's just a fun story, hopefully. And so we started to get some interesting feedback from that because I think it surprised people that we're dealing with theological ideas through a fantasy style story, you know? And so, um, so we're, we're trying things like that to see if we can, because, because what we've noticed is there's a certain audience that will read a book that is just styled as a theology type book, you know? And so we began to think, well, what kind of, what kind of books would someone else who could still benefit from those ideas, what would they read? And that's kind of been our, our driving thought on that is like, well, you know, if we wrote just fun sort of fiction stories, but that taught, you know, theological ideas along the way, then, uh, then, you know, maybe that would draw people in. And so, so that's that's what we've done lately. I'm trying to think of what else we've pu I've published a um, a Bible study book on uh, the biblical book of Colossians recently. So um, yeah, we're just we're we're constantly uh, thinking about the next thing. So um, so yeah, it was that your. I'm trying to think. Did, I often lose track of the question because I ramble so much. I hope, hopefully, I didn't. That was. I said, "What's up next?" And you. What's up next? Yeah, yeah. What's up next? Yeah. Okay. So before we get off, is there one thing that you would like to leave, one last thought that you would like to leave people with? Oh, I love that question. That's really good. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, if you're, if you're okay with it, I'd love to kind of give the bottom line for kind of what I felt like I found in, in my journey with, you know, that the book talks about. Um, so, I mean, if you're okay with me talking kind of Go gospel and theology. Go for it. Um, so what I kind of return to in the end 
or not the end, maybe the middle, because I'm still alive. But what I sort of returned to after many years was this simple idea that we that you see in the verses that very, a lot of people already know, like John three sixteen, and it's that Jesus's agreement with us. He came to Earth. He he lived a perfect life. He he died for our sins. And then the question becomes, what does he require us to do? Does he require us to live the perfect life? You know, whatever. And and I think the answer, especially from the Gospel of John, is like emphatically no. What he what he tells us all through the Gospel of John, in fact, it says it like, you know, dozens of times that the agreement is believe in me and you'll have eternal life. You mm-hmm. know, and so what a lot of folks do is they'll take that that word believe and they'll kind of pack other ideas into it. But everybody knows what believe means. Like, do you believe that the sky's blue? I mean, you know what I'm asking you by, mm-hmm. by asking that, you know. And so that's what Jesus is saying. He says, uh, you know, like John 3, 3.36 is actually John the Baptist, but he says he who believes uh, uh, in him has eternal life. John 5.24 says that. John 3.16, John 3.17. I mean, all these verses say this over and over, that if you believe in Jesus for, that, for, for what he's offering, which is the free gift of eternal life, then you have it. Now, clearly there's those out there that will present the gospel differently. But to me, that was that was earth shaking to see that because what that does is it allows us to have assurance mm-hmm. that like Jesus, he gives us this offer and then, and then that's that. Now, there's things that come after that, hopefully, but that is this fun- fundamental piece. And so if somebody's saying, well, I'm not sure if I'm saved, what I do is not say, well, how are you behaving? What I say is, well, let's go back and look at what Jesus promised. I mean, that's where we got to look is what did he promise? What do you have to do? You have to believe in order to, to receive eternal life. So if, you, if you've believed in him, then you have it. And so that's that, that's that kernel that really changed my life. And um, I don't know. I don't know, uh, you know what your uh, viewers think about theology ideas, but um, that's kind of where... That's kind of where I'm coming from. So hopefully that's uh, uh, hopefully that's meaningful to somebody out there. It was, it's very meaningful. And the fact that you picked out all those different verses that say the same exact thing. I love that. And the, mm. you knew them off the top of your head, too. I love that. <laughs> yeah. um, so where can people find you? Well, so if you want to get specifically to this book that we're talking about, Naked Grace, you can go to nakedgrace.org. But our ministry website also has that book, but other materials, other books, other, you know, um, videos that we do and our kids show and stuff like that. And that website is freegrace.in, like as in, in uh, international, our, our ministry name is called Free Grace International. So freegrace.in uh, gets, gets you to kind of the, the hub of what uh, me and the, the rest of the team are, are working on. Yeah. The hub. I love that. The hub yeah. the rest <laughs> of the team is like, uh, so Lucas, I want to thank you so much for coming on and chatting and guys, this book is, it's funny, but it also has a lot of a theological perspective on it. And I love how you talk about your struggle. Cause I think a lot of people w- with faith, they struggle with their faith and faith is something so personal that if they see someone else that struggles as well, especially someone who has what, a master in theology struggle with it. So that kind of helps everybody else out too. So I want to thank you for coming on. Well, thank you so much. This has actually been a lot of fun. This may be one of my most fun interviews. I really appreciate your, uh, your, your, just your, your attitude and everything. This has been really enjoyable. Well, thank you so much. And um, guys, <laughs> we'll see you on the next chat from the Block Cabin. Bye.
Wow, I really had a lot of fun chatting with Lucas. I actually, I will say that I was kind of dreading the interview because I wasn't as prepared as I normally am with the interviews. I hope you, I don't know if you could tell this or not, but I wasn't as prepared as I normally am. But as we started talking, I just felt very relaxed and very calm and just listened to what he was saying and just came off like that. It's just a natural conversation. That's basically what Chats in the Blog Cabin is all about. Sure, I send people talking points, but I don't send them questions ahead of time. So that's sometimes our chats are all over the place. Sometimes they're super um, directed in one one certain direction, but I just take it as the questions come to me. Um, I really hope you enjoyed this episode with Lucas. It's kind of funny, um, the very beginning, some of the things that he says about what his older brother told him and what he believed as a younger kid with being so gullible. I love how he's works with his family and he's built a ministry within his family which is amazing because I know if I have to work with my extended family I probably would not be we would not have a business we would go bankrupt because there would not it would not happen so I want to thank you so much for being part of part of the podcast family and guys you know it's it's pretty awesome that you're here with me on this journey and I want to thank you so much we're coming up close to almost 200 episodes now and on the 200th episode I want to do something kind of different um I have a lot of things in the works um we're gonna talk about going back to high school and what our older selves would tell our younger selves um we're gonna talk about some other things we're gonna revisit some of the high school memories I had um with some um amazing people that I went to high school with who are now doing amazing things in their life um we're also gonna talk about education I have some really great people still lined up. I have my dream sheet. I'm adding to it every day and I'm stepping into the purpose that God gave me for this podcast. There may be some episodes that are very uncomfortable for you guys to listen to, but they're necessary episodes. Um, Everybody has a story and I believe everybody has a right to tell their story. That's why I, when I opened up the chats from the blog cabin, I'm like, you know what? They're going to be amazing people and they're going to maybe some celebrities on here and there. But most of the time, the people that are on this podcast are ones that are in the trenches and doing the work. And as I am in the trenches doing the work myself. And don't think I have it all together because I don't have it all together. So there's some days that I really struggle. So once again, I want to thank you. If this podcast has touched one person, then I know I've done my job. Please like, leave a rating or review wherever you listen to the podcast. If you want to hop over to YouTube and see the the video portion of the podcast, then please go over and subscribe and so you'll be notified when there's a new podcast episode or a new live episode that drops. Um, it takes a couple of weeks from the live episode for it to come back up on podcast form. But I really thank you so much for all that you do and for being here and for supporting me. And as always, be blessed. And remember, keep chatting.